We are live. Live. Okay. There we are. Sorry, just one second. Okay, welcome everyone. How are you? I hope everybody's great. I never said that in the beginning of a class. How are you? But that's a good question. How's everyone? Baruch Hashem. Okay, so this week is a really, really, really happy parsha, but it has like a little bit of a sadness at the beginning, you know. The name of the parsha is Chaya Sara, the life of Sarah, and it's actually talking about our mother, first of our mothers, first Jewish woman, her passing and the and the after after effects of her life her burial, and then how life continued kind of post-Sara. Um, but it's a great parasha because we have the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka, and uh, it's good, it's good. Jewish people are building. There is a construction of holiness in this world. We, we have our first real estate purchase in the land of Israel. It becomes Jewish, Jewish property, the city of Hebron. It's very, very special. Um, so this is like good, 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 good stuff. Um, now the opening verse in the parsha is the opening verse in the parsha is Yisara, It was the life of Sarah. Yisara, the life of Sarah was. So it tells you how old she was when she passed away. That she lived a hundred and twenty-seven years. And um, Right away, you noticed it's a little strange because it says a hundred years, twenty years, and seven years, and that's really not a good way of saying it. the The proper way to say this is one hundred and twenty-seven. The Torah is especially so specific with its wording. What's hundred years, twenty years, seven? So Rashi already deals with it on the simple level. We're going to go a little mystical. A hundred years. Um, 20 years, 7 years. Tonight is the birthday of the 5th Chabad Rebbe, Rav Deiper, and he has many discourses where he's discussing this, this, this phenomenon of 100 years, 20 years, 7 years. And the gist of it is based on the Zohar is that we're not just talking about her, uh, her life or duration of time of her life, but this is representing the inner content of Sarah's life. Sarah's life. And that expresses the idea that the Torah says 100 years, 20 years, and 70 years, I'm sorry, and seven years, each one individually, is because it's hinting to that she lived to the fullest on, on three tiers, on three levels of life. We all live on these three levels, but Sarah achieved perfect harmony and perfect synchronization of every level in her, in, her, in her being, in her existence. And even physically, we find that we're divided into three parts. We have a head, we have the torso, and then we have the bottom, the legs. Three parts to a physical human being. There's also three dimensions to a, uh, on, a, on, a on a spiritual level. We know nefesh, ruach, neshama, uh, levels like that. The kochas nefesh, the the, the powers of the soul are different ways of how you divide the powers of the soul. One of the general divisions of the power of the soul is that there are 
encompassing powers, transcendental powers and inner powers, conscious powers and more superconscious powers. And then you divide it into two. But sometimes the division is a division in three. That means in the in the in the in the in the writings or in the teachings of the Kabbalists, when we want to look at the full the full experience of of life, of the full experience of the soul, or the full uh, dimension of the soul, it exists on three levels. We have the keter element, which are the superpowers, which are above and beyond generally more or less the, the, the transcendental powers of the soul. Then there is an intellect, what we call mochen. There is keter, which is keser crown. And then there is mochen, which means intelligence. And then there is midois, and then there is emotions. The three levels. The emotions. Emotions obviously are very, very powerful in our lives. Our emotions are the engine for most of what we do is driven by emotions. We have passions, we have certain fears, and so on and so forth. Certain things we are we are trying to, you know, be victorious over and persevere. Whatever all the different emotions, and, the, and we know that we spoke about this so many times that there are seven emotions, primary emotions that make up the emotional strata of the human psyche. So that's one level. Above that is the intelligence. And above that are certain powers that are higher than the intelligence, like willpower. Will is a very, very deep, but it's a transcendental power in the sense that it doesn't reside in a certain spot in the body. It's a more all-encompassing power of your entire being, and that's will. And therefore, it's associated with this energy of keser. Keser means an encompassing light. And then even deeper than will is pleasure. Pleasure is the inside of will. Because usually, where is our will, where is our drive, it's related to the core essential pleasure of our being. It's in what we have a core essential pleasure, that's what usually creates the drive. So the deepest point of the human is the pleasure. So for our discussion, pleasure and will are both one level, because they're both super, super powers, all-encompassing powers. And that's why they're called the crown that surrounds the person. And then the intellect, the mind, is called moichen, which consists of really three powers, chachma binadas, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. But in today's discussion, we're going to leave out the das, because the das is basically a, a blend and a harmony between the chachma and the bina. And I'm not going to get into it exactly uh, now, but especially the Kabbalists say that every time we count keter, we, we, we're talking about the keser, we leave out das. If keser is part of the equation, then then we then then there's no das. Then das is not discussed as a, a force. Again, das generally means knowledge, but it's a power in the soul. But this is not for the reason why we're going to omit it. So the primary powers of the intellect are two powers: chachma and bina. And then finally, there are the, you go further down, you get to the seven emotions. So mystically, when it says that Sarah lived 127 years, but it, it says it, it divides them all, 100 years, 20 years, seven years, is because we're talking about three levels of, of energy, three levels of life. The seven, let's go from the bottom up. The seven years are simple. 
It's talking about the seven emotions. Sarah lived her seven emotions. And what does that mean? She reached perfection in her seven emotions. Her seven emotions were perfectly attuned with holiness and godliness. There was no blemish in her emotion. There was nothing there that was kind of messy. There was nothing there that was a little off. And she was in perfect flow with the divine. She was plugged in on every level of her emotion. That means on a simple level, her passion was God's passion. She was perfectly in sync with the divine, with the divine energies. God too has seven emotions. And when the human emotions match up perfectly with the divine emotions, then you have a very, very good human being. You have a godly being, not a human being. You have a human being who has ascended to be a godly being. So Sarah was perfect in her seven emotions. But then we go up a notch. Above her emotions are her intelligence. And the intelligence is what we call 20 years. Why 20? Because it's two times 10. 10 for her for one side, her right side of her of her intellect, which is the chachma, which is generally on the right side of the brain, the power of wisdom, and ten in the bina, in her power of understanding. So you have ten and ten makes it twenty. Now the only thing we have to notice is that when it came to the seven emotions, we didn't say seventy. We said just seven years. Seven years, not seventy. But when it's coming to the intelligence, we're speaking two digits, not one digit. So why is that? That's a little bit of an inconsistency. And the answer is the realm of the intelligence being that intelligence is a higher state of existence, a higher state of energy. The intellect is higher than the, than the, than the emotion. For that reason, the intellect has an has a extra element, a double energy. So the intellect is, 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 is associated with, with, um, with two digits. And that's how it is in the divine. Double digits is a higher form of energy. And therefore, the intellect, which is higher than the emotions, you'd give for each one of those powers 10, 10 digits, not just one. Okay? Now we ascend to an even higher level, to, to triple digits, to three digits. That's referring to already the all-encompassing superpowers, the keser, the crown. The crown is mystically associated with three digits. The level of crown is in the hundreds. We're going from single digits to the, to the tens, and then we go up to the hundreds. So when we say Sarah lived 127 years, it means... That her superpowers on the level of, like, for example, her will, her will, her drive, her desire, her will, and her pleasure were as pure as possible and as perfect as possible. She reached perfection on the level of desire and pleasure. That means that there was nothing in her pleasure that was off. We look at ourselves and we find that we sometimes take pleasure in things that are not so good. And she only had pleasure in that which is perfectly in line with the greater infinite, <laughs> with God's will. So she was perfect in her pleasure. She was perfect in her desire. And that's what means she lived a hundred years. She lived, she really plugged into life on that level. And then she lived 20 years 
It's not just time. It's not just years. It means she achieved perfection in her intelligence. She was at the highest level of perfection of her intelligence. Her intelligence were so godly connected. And then she, and then taking it down a step lower, her seven emotions were impeccable. So Sarah, Sarah represents the perfection of the harmony of a human being and the divine. Now, this is awesome. You have a human being who doesn't have any piece of them sticking out. That's kind of left out of pure godliness. So to say on Sarah, she is as perfect as perfection can be. Now, the interesting thing about that is she's our first Jewish woman. She's our mother. And that's awesome. But we also had great fathers. We had Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, right? Fathers. And yet we don't find such a perfection stated by them explicitly. Avram lived, Avram lived 175, and there probably is great mystical secrets in the significance of Avram's life. 175 years. Yitzchak, Isaac lived 180 years. And there's great meaning to the life of Yitzchak of 180. Yaakov lived 147. And we can obviously dissect that and give deeper meaning to the 147 years. All true. But yet the Zohar makes the biggest deal about Sarah's life. Sarah lived 127. And her numbers are the, are, are the numbers that illustrate perfection, the, the perfect life being perfectly aligned with the divine on all levels of existence. So that needs some commentary. Why Sarah? Why is it Davka and primarily the woman who, who has this, this quality of being so perfect? Now you have to say, Avram probably also didn't have the tiniest nu nuance. So there wasn't a little bit of, 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 of klippa, a little bit of unholiness left inside of him. We know about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They are called the chariot for the divine. The chariot means that they had no will of their own. Their entire life was a vehicle for God. Everything they did was an expression of the divine will. So they were also, in Yitzhak, we know, for instance, Yitzhak was a perfect uh, Olam, he was, he was, he was, he, he, he was, he, he went up to the altar. He was considered, and we know that a korban, a sacrifice, has to be perfect. He can't have any blemishes. So if Yitzchak would have had the tiniest defect in his character, even on the smallest, on somewhere in his soul, there would be something that's a little bit off. He would not be asked by God to bring him up, even though they didn't slaughter him in the end as a sacrifice. But the fact that they brought him up as a sacrifice, it's as, and we know that it's considered as if Yitzchak was elevated and consumed by the divine. That means that Yitzhak was perfect. And by Yaakov, we don't have to say anything further. By Yaakov, it says already right when he was young, when he was a young, young the Yaakov ish tam. Yaakov is tam. Tam means complete. So we have perfection by all of them. Yet, the, the, the Torah doesn't tell us excitingly about that perfection like it, like, like it tells it to us by Sarah. So what is it about Sarah in which her perfection is of greater significance. In other words, her perfection, uh, let me paraphrase the question in another way. Why is it that her perfection expressed itself in the physical life that she, she lived? 
in the time of her life. It's with, it goes without a shadow of a doubt that all these, I mean, I'm saying, I said, I said about the patriarchs, how about all the other prophets and how about all the other great sages like Rav Shemem Bayochai and the Holy Arizal and the Bol Shem Tov and all the other great, great, great saintly people, Samuel the prophet and also the great women, Miriam Hanaviyah and, and others. Why is it, why, yeah, they all achieved this awesome perfection and they all were just expressions of godliness in this world. If that's the, but yeah, that perfect perfection didn't necessarily reveal itself in the time in years by Sarah. It 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 shows in her life that when you 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 summarize her life and you look at it, her years, her years express the perfect life that she lived. Why? So we're going to see that there's a very very deep idea over here. Why it's it, it is Sarah and, and only Sarah related to the quality of the woman over the man, and being that she's the first Jewish woman, so she exemplifies this. Another thing that we need to understand, and it will be another very important idea, and that is that when we're when the, the name of the parsha, this we discussed many many times in earlier years and earlier classes, the name of the parsha is the life of Sarah. The story of the Parsha is anything but the life of Sarah. It's the afterlife of Sarah. It's when Sarah is not here anymore physically. The whole, the whole story is that Sarah passes away. It's right there in the first verse. Sarah passed away. Vayama Sarah. Sarah passed away. And now we buried her. And then the rest of the story goes on to say, and more than that, even the next story that, 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 that Rebecca, is, they, they go and they find Rebecca. Immediately after this story, the next story after Aram buys a, a plot for Sarah, immediately they're searching for a wife for Yitzhak. And the reason is because of the absence of a Jewish female. We can't be without the, without the feminine touch. We can't be without the woman. So her absence was so felt that immediately, you know, Avram's thinking, you know, there has to be a woman over here. And that's why we find that when finally Rivka came, and they brought Rivka to Yitzchak, and they bring her to what is it? And he brings her to his tent, and then it says, Yitzchak, achar Yitzchak was comforted for the loss of his mother. In other words, you're noticing the energy of the parsha is that there's a big vacancy, there's a big cavity over here that needs to be filled. There's a big emptiness. Who's missing? Sarah is missing. Who can she be replaced with? The next online, Ritha, who's going to take Sarah's place and fill her, fill her space. In what? Again, with, um, with, the, with, with this quality, with the, with the feminine quality, with, with, with Sarah, with Sarah's energy. But what do we see from here? That that story as well is related to the fact that Sarah is absent. The, in other, even though Yitzhak has to get married no matter what. Yitzhak has to get married. But you know what? No one was rushing till now. Yitzhak is already 40 years old by this time. <laughs> so they weren't rushing until this point. Why suddenly the haste? I know, so one of the reasons is because <laughs> Avram realized that he almost that, 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 that he almost killed him. And, and it would have been better had Yitzhak had children already. So even if he killed him, <laughs> I killed him, killed him. He almost uh, uh, took Yitzhak's life by the, by the binding of Isaac. And, and, and had Yitzhak at least had offspring already, then he would have not wiped out the Jewish people by doing it. But now he realized 
that he almost brought about the end of the Jewish people. So he better marry him off quickly. Okay, I know that's explanation. But we see that till now there was no rush to marry off Yitzchak. What's the rush now? The rush right now was because of the absence of Sarah. So again, what is the parsha highlighting? The absence of Sarah. So much so that in the end of the parsha, it says that Avram Avinu even goes and marries, takes back, he marries a woman called Keturah. He married another woman. And according to uh, some opinions, this Rashi brings it, Keturah, who Avram marries again, who is this Keturah? She's Hagar. So she's the woman that a Hagar, uh, 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 um, Sarah chased out of the house. Now Avram went, went and married her. But this also illustrates simply the absence of Sarah. So if that's the case, why do we call this parasha Chaye Sarah the life? Sarah? Now we discussed this in a class um, a couple of years ago, how each one of these stories that we just mentioned expressed the life of Sarah. So even though we're talking about after her passing, but really these stories illustrate her life. Every single event of these stories is an expression of Sarah's life. But we're going to take it a little bit deeper today. Okay? So here's the idea. On a simple level, we can answer. If the entire parasha is after Sarah's life, why are we calling the parasha Chaye Sarah the life of Sarah? And the answer is that we this idea we discussed many times that life can die. There's no such a thing as life dying. Whatever was alive in the person never dies. What dies? When what is alive, which is, leaves the body, then the body is without life, and that's what we call death. But life doesn't die, because life is divine, and divine is eternal. So life can die. And therefore, if we say, what's the, what's the testimony or what's the testament, rather? What's the testament to somebody really being alive? Is the eternity of their existence. So during a person's lifetime, when they're physically here, which means when their soul is in, encompassed in a body, then they're alive but that we don't really have a true demonstration that their life is really real life. Because if it comes to an end, if they pass away and whatever they represented and their influence and who they are, their identity dissipates and it's gone. Even though when they were alive, everybody feared them and everybody respect or, 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 or uh, you know, revert, whatever it was, people had, were impacted by this individual. If after 10, 15 years of their life, poof, they're, they're, they, you know, they're, 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 they're on a plaque somewhere, but that's about it. There's nothing really there memorable that they're impacting further, then we can't really call that truly, truly being alive because real life means not ending. Only someone whose life remains, super, remains impactful and remains impactful for all of eternity continues to remain impactful. That person is truly alive, was truly alive. And therefore, we can't really say that Sarah is in life until, alive until we'll check what happens after Sarah passes away. So when we take a look at the end of the parsha and see Sarah living on, 
She continues to live at, in this world, not just up there in heaven. She continues to live in this world. What she stood for, what she drove, her impact continues further and further. Then we can say she's alive. That's what we discussed in earlier years. And therefore, the only measurement is, is you can't call the Pasha when she's physically alive. You can't call her alive because you don't really know if it's real life. Real life is godly life, and godly life has to be here forever. Okay. But now let's take that a step, a step deeper. Because if that's the case, so how come we don't find, again, the same question that I asked in the beginning regarding the other idea that we spoke about, perfection, that the perfection is only by Sarah. How come we don't find the same theme by, by, by the other righteous people? By the other righteous people, we don't find the theme that the Torah describes their life. When, when we're talking about their life, we're talking about things that happened after they passed away. And we say that that's the testimony of their life that they're continuing is because of their impact that happens afterwards. We don't find that by other tzaddikim. By Sarah, we find that. We have a name of a parasha called Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. And yet there's no, there's the physical life of Sarah was not, was not, was not here anymore. And yet this parsha is the name, which means the theme of the part the life of Sarah, and everything that's described is all later. And what are we saying? The true life of a person can only be seen after, because then we know if they're if they're really in, if they're if their life is really infinite in this world. I'm saying every soul is infinite up there. Question is, is their life infinite down here? And therefore, and if it's not infinite, it's not life. Real life is it goes on for all eternity. So, as we said earlier, so, 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 but why don't we see that by everyone else? How come it's only illustrated by some? So, therefore, we have, to, we have to say more than what we just said. It can't just be the notion that we just mentioned that, 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 that only, that true life can only be measured after the departure of a person. Because then it should be so by Vahichaye Avram. We should have a, a parsha about Avram Avinus and, and, and called Chaye Avram telling us about Avram after he lived or telling us about everyone else. So, for example, there's a parsha by Yechi. I'll give you an example. By Yechi Yaakov. There's a parsha. Yes, it's speaking about the end of Yaakov's life, but most of the parsha is still talking about while he was alive, how he was blessing his children and so on and so forth, and how his image. And at the end, the last few Sukkim and Parshas, uh, he talks about his passing. But you have a lot of the Parsha that's talking about Yaakov, you know, when he is alive. Last 17 years of his life. So, good. We don't say that Yaakov's life only starts after he's ending, so to speak. By Sarah, the truest element of her life is expressed only when she passed away. And then we, it's not that she's beginning to live then. She was always living. But this is this is kind of validating that she was really alive. Why by Sarah? Why this concept by Sarah? Should be by everyone. The answer to all of that is, is related to a very, to, to a, a, a very important idea. And that is the difference between the energy of a man and a woman, male and female. Masculine energy is very, very powerful. Masculine energy is very strong, very intense, but it's lofty. But it is, as you Yiddish, you say, it's in the luftim. It's very, very, it's energy. It's energy without containers. It's without, without, without vessels. And therefore, it's above the world. A man's energy is really above the world. 
a woman's energy is, and a woman's, um, ability or woman's, it's not just energy, it's a, her, 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 her essence, her essence of the woman is containers. The woman is containing. And therefore, women are far, and women are grounding forces. And therefore, women have the ability and the, and the, and the power to transform this, the world, much more than men do. The impact that women have on the world is a much deeper impact than men's impact on the world. Men can spark ideas. They can flash uh, energies. But women are the implementers. And we see that. Women are very detailed, mostly, of course, you say men and women. Obviously, you can have women that have more masculine traits and you can have men that have more feminine traits. But we're talking in the general idea of masculinity versus femininity is that a man's energy is a is a um, is, is energy and a woman's identity is vessels, containers. And that's why in general, women are much better at detailing things. You see that if, and we see that physically. That women are better at details than men are. They, because they can channel things down into the nitty gritty and bring them into the world of time and space. Men have a much harder time with time and space. And we'll soon see that it has to do with our spiritual origin of men versus women. Women are rooted in the source from where time and space comes from. So they're much better with spatial with the idea of space, which means bringing things down into the here and the now. Versus men's energies might be awesome, but it, it, it has a harder time settling. So a man needs a good woman to settle him and to bring him down and that he, whatever he is and what, what he wants to do sh should actually take hold in time and space, which means in this world. That's a women's quality over a man. So we said that you see that even just in the most important feature of a man and a woman is that a man, a man um, um, produced together, they create children, they create generation, they reproduce together, man and woman. And what the what the man gives, the man gives a, a point, his sperm that the man gives to create the child, he gives the DNA. He gives, he gives a concept. That's really what he's giving. He's giving a concept of there's no there's no human being over here when the man is done. The man gave a concept. The woman takes it, and the woman it brings you a person. Now, what she's creating is from only from the concept that he that he gave. You know, he gave a concept of this individual, but it's an abstract concept. Until the woman doesn't come and turn that abstract energy into a physical human being with hands and feet and fingers and oh and oh. It's, it's, not, it's, it's an idea. A man presents an idea. A woman provides the structure to structure it, to bring it down, to implement it. It's an incredible power. And that is because if we trace it all the way back to the spiritual origins, men's energies are from a more transcendental place. Lights that are not contained so much in vessels. Men's energies are what we call soviet kalam and encompassing lights. 
They're above vessels and above containers. And a woman's energy is from Malchus. Malchus is the source of time and space. Shechina, it's the source of the indwelling of God within the world, creating time and space. And therefore, they're much better with time and space, which means they're much better in being able to evaluate the time that there is for something to happen and how to take something and put it into this time frame and bring it into, you know, men are like, oh, this is going to get, but the woman is, I'm good in fixing it into time, breaking it into small little increments of how to bring it into time and hint to fit it into the space in which we have. So the Talmud actually tells us this very beautiful. Eliyo Anavi actually says this. The Talmud tells us in the Sechtes Yevamis, Tafsamach Gimel. Ahmed Abelazah, Rebelazah says, Kol Adam She'ein Isha. Every man that doesn't have a woman, Enoi Adam, is not a man. He's not a person, meaning Enoi That's it. In other words, why? Because you're an energy without a vessel. Shenemar, it says, Zohar Nekeva Baram. God created male and female. You got to have your female um, um, a part. There has to be a team. And then he says um, a story like this. Ashkechei Rabbi Yossi Leleo. Nice story. Rabbi Yossi met Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet. And he says, it says in the Pasuk, God says, Ezer I will create for man. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create for man an assistant, a helpmate. And then God went and created the woman. So Rabbi Yossi asks Eliyahu, how is the woman man's helpmate? Are we going to assume that Rabbi Yossi didn't have such a, such a, such an easy marriage? I don't know. Rabbi Yossi is turning to Elio and he says, how is the woman man's assistant? How does she share? So Elio tells him like this. Hear these beautiful words. A person brings home wheat. Okay, he, He's working. He works out there in the field. Comes on with a wagon full of wheat. Is that what he eats? Does he chew on wheat? No. A man comes home and what does he eat? Fresh, delicious rolls. How did wheat turn into rolls? Ah, that's the woman's job. So he's bringing the raw materials. She refines those materials. She breaks it down. You know, you have to be the wheat, you got the kernels, you got to grind it, you got to turn it to flour, and then the flour, you make it into a dough, and the dough goes into an oven, and now you have challah. <laughs> now you have bread. Now you have something to eat. It's edible. In other words, she brings that. Really, it's all there in the wheat. What's lacking? The wheat. You have wheat. The bracha's there. You have the wheat. Wheat is, 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 is sustenance in concept. It's not sustenance in reality. You know, if you're a horse or something, maybe you can eat the wheat directly. A human being can't eat wheat directly. So it's, it's conceptual food. But it's not real food. In, in real time, it's not real food. For that, the man brings the wheat to his wife, and the wife will go and turn the wheat into something concrete and real and, and edible in this, in this realm. Same is also pishtan. He comes home and he brings her a bunch. He brings home a bunch of flax. You know, what does he need flax for? From flax, you make uh, linen, you make clothing. So does he wear the flax? 
Does he take the flax and put on the flax? No. No, she turns it into a garment. So again, from a concept of garment to a real garment, to something practical and uh, 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 practical and usable in this world. So Nelioa says, doesn't she light up his eyes? Doesn't she she station him on his feet without a gimme? He, 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 he doesn't have food, he doesn't have clothing, he has nothing. That, that's, that was Elio's, Elio's answer. So obviously this is a physical example, but this applies to so much more. This In this little story, it gives out, it expresses, it brings to the forefront the, 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 the woman's role. And else he might be the one who's introducing the, 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 the whatever it is, life. And she's the one who is bringing it down, making it, making all this livable in this world. And if this is true in physical life, and as we discussed in having children, she does that. In running a house, she does that. And making life real and practical in this world, the same as also spiritually. In our job to make this world a godly world, the man might have enormous spiritual energy. A man might be able to access great Avram Avinu. He was the one. Who's the one who found God? I wasn't sorry. Avram came home with the idea of a monotheistic belief in one God. And Avram, right? But if there would not be Sarah, this would have been a truth that would have been known in some, in some mountaintop. With you know, for 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 a small little group of people, it would never have taken hold in this world. Star is the one who takes Avram's amazing ideas. She takes his amazing spirit, his incredible godly energy, and funnels it into time and space. She brings it into the concreteness of this world, making it real in here. So without Sarah, nothing would take hold in the physical. In our world. And since the objective is for God to have a home in this world, the whole purpose of creation is because God wanted this world to be a godly, holy place, which is what the Jewish people play the biggest role in doing. And since it's the Jewish woman who plays, who has that, who links up these spiritual energies with time and space, her, her accomplishment and her achievements far are far superior than the man's than the man's role. Because precisely because the introduction of everything and the assimilation of everything into the physical and into this world. An enormous power. So we find that also we can see that in Avram's Avram's life, Avram and Sarah's life. Two stories. One story is uh, by the binding of Isaac. So Avram takes Yitzchak up to the to the uh, to the Akeda, and he almost slaughters him. Right, almost he has already the knife on Yitzchak's um, throat. He's ready to slit his throat. Okay, he's doing something awesome. He's fulfilling God's will. At that very at the eleventh hour, at the last second, God calls out to him, "Stop!" The angel of Hashem calls out, "Stop!" Okay, the angel says, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" Doesn't don't do that. So Aram says, "I came here for nothing." 
And so Amram at least wanted to make a little bit. He wanted to start. And the Malik says, no, 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 no. So you see, Amram is struggling. Now, his son's life now was saved. But because he was so on fire to do God's will and, and to also, you know, thinking about what he would be doing for Yitzhak's neshama. Imagine elevating. Now, we know human sacrifices are not permitted. But at that moment when, when, when Hashem spoke to Aram and in this particular case gave that exemption and told Aram to bring Yitzhak up as a sacrifice, can you imagine the elevation of Isaac's soul? No other human being would have gone up as high and reached so deep into God as Isaac's soul at that moment. Not at that moment. Where, where, where Aram would have elevated Yitzhak. It was unbelievable. And you see that Amram is having a, far, a hard time letting go of the knife. Even though he's the kindest human being, the most sensitive human being, but he's so fired up with God's will that he's like, whoa, unstoppable almost. Now let's take the camera, take it off the mountaintop, move the camera away and focus it to what's happening to Sarah. Sarah. Sarah is the mother of Yitzhak. News comes to her. She fears her husband left. It's a left. She starts searching what happened to them. Where did they go? They didn't really tell us that they're leaving. What's going on? Someone tells Sarah that he saw Avram Avinu on top of the mountain with a knife ready to slit Yitzchak's throat. At that moment, Sarah hears this. She has a heart attack and she passes away. She can't bear the news that her, that, that her, that her son is being slaughtered. So now we need for one moment a little bit to understand over here. I mean, this is a couple. They're married for how long? At this point, they're married over 100 years. Because um, um, Avram at this point is, is 137 years old. Yitzchak at the, Sarah is, 100 and, uh, is 127. And they got married as teenagers. Over in their early 20s, not exactly sure when they got married. They were very young. So they're married for over 100 years. You would expect. And they were an, an awesome couple, right? And we're going to understand that they're pretty much, um, um, you know, meant for each other. And they would be on the same page. We can understand small disagreements. The very same activity and the very same action that Avram has a hard time. Like Avram wants to do so much. He's ready to shech Yitzchak. And, and, and the fact that God does not let him do so, he's struggling with it. He can't drop the knife. He wants to see it through. And obviously, it's not because God forbid Avram has wants to see blood. He's, he's the most kind person, but because this is God's, in his mind, this was God's will at that moment. And because he understood the awesomeness of, of the elevation of elevating Yitzchak's soul and how high this would be and how enormously great this would be, it's like a whole struggle for him to let go and not do that. Sarah, the mere beer, the, the thought of the possibility that her son would be, would be offered as a sacrifice was too much for her. The pain of it and the shock of it was too much for her to bear that she died. Right. So you might try to, we might want to explain this just in a very human way. She's a mother. She's soft her heart, but she's a tzadikis. She's an, she's a equal. She's equal in her righteousness to, as Avram in his righteousness. She's a, 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 an on part tzadikist as much as he's a tzaddik. They're a tzaddik and a tzaddikist, which means a, a perfect couple. She cares about God's will as much as her husband does. And Avram doesn't either one. You know, if Avram would have heard that, that Yitzhak was killed, like, like, like Yaakov Avinu, imagine. Yaakov Avinu had 12 sons. And when he heard that Yosef was killed, God forbid, he, he couldn't live. 
He literally was depressed for, 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 for so many years. For 20 years, Avram was, Yaakov was depressed. We can imagine what kind of depression Avram would have been if he heard Yitzhak was killed. But this was not killing him. This was elevating him as a sacrifice. And for Avram, this was like an awesome. How can it be that for what would have been in Avram's mind, the most awesome thing is in Sarah's mind, the most devastating tragedy. And they're a couple. What's the answer? The answer is what we spoke about before. To Avram, God, energy, connection, holiness. This is like his, this is what he's living for. The attachment to God is awesome. Sarah knows one thing. The ultimate, ultimate objection. Don't give me connections and high connections and super connections and higher connections. Bottom line is God wants a home in this world. And for this, Judaism has to continue in this world. And there needs to be someone in this world who's going to continue, who's going to continue, who's going to carry the monotheistic faith. On to generations, generations, and then build the Jewish people that are going to receive the Torah and eat matzah in this world, put tefillin in this world, physically and impact this world. Sarah knows that. And therefore, to Sarah, in her mind, there is no room for slaughtering, for, for Yitzchak's, for Yitzchak's Mesira Snefesh, for Yitzchak's um, sa sacrifice. It might what we're basically saying, the sacrifice of Yitzchak in terms of the heavenly spheres, in terms of the supernal worlds, in terms of the ecstasy and bliss, it would have set off a firework show in heaven like has never, ever been in display. You know, the Walt, the, the Disneyland fireworks that they do, whatever, it would be nothing, nothing compared to the awesome singing music that it would have set off in the supernal realms but down here in this world the world would have become a much darker place why because the 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 one person who can carry on who's meant to create take the seed of Avram Avinu and spread it across the entire world and create this magnificent people called the Jewish people that are going to elevate and change and transform this entire world and make it into a garden for God the physical world that's going to be gone so Avram Avinu, because he's a man, because his energy is transcendent, he can celebrate with heaven. He can, he can identify with that. And at that moment, he was caught up in that ecstasy. To Sarah, there isn't even a possibility for that. Because to Sarah, it has to be life. Yitzhak has to be alive. And Yitzhak has to have children. And he, and he must produce that people. It has to be here on earth. That's the woman. Her task is the, the sublimation of the physical. And in that sense, let's take a look. And we see in the parsha, the two main stories in this parsha is, 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 is how this world is impacted with holiness. What's the first story? When Avram, when, which, which happens right after Sarah passes away, Avram needs a burial site for, for, uh, for Sarah. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the class, he finds a piece of land that he wants, 
It was a very special place. That's where Adam and Eve were buried. Adam and Chava. And Avram Avinu purchases that land. And then that becomes the Ma'aras HaMachpelah, the, the, the cave of the Machpelah in Hebron. So what's unique about it? It's the first piece of land that actually becomes Jewish real estate and becomes Eretz Yisrael. So then Avram was a wanderer. He moved from place to place. He lived in a tent. He was kind of living a Bedouin life. And even though on some mystical, higher spiritual level, God promised him the land already. Not only that, Avram walked across the land to the north and to the south, God told him. And by walking on it, he had some impact on it. That, you know, it, it, it had some effect. But on paper, physically, in a document, in a court of law, in the physical, in the physical world, provide the papers. Is there papers over here that is there a a a, a uh, what is it called a, a deed? Is there a, a a physical contract? Is there something in this physical world that can, according to the, the law of the land, the legal world here, that would say that 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 has the clears a piece of land, holy land? No. And interesting, while Avram was walking across the land this way and that way and spiritually conquering the land, at that very same time, the Pesach says, and that the Canaanim were in the land. And that means that the descendants of Canaan, of Canaan, who are the descendants of Ham, were actually conquering the land from the descendants of Shays. It was a slow conquest. The people of Ham were taking it away from the descendants of Shays, and which, which is where the Jewish people come from. They come from, from not Chase, from the descendants of uh, of Shane. The, the the descendants of Ham were taking it away from the descendants of Shane, which means it was taken further away from the Jewish people. The first and only piece of land that was acquired, at least in the the dies of Avram, was this piece of land, and it was done in a way that it was first of all they made a contract, and it was paid for. You know, it was done as a as a full-fledged real estate deal. The money was transferred, money in the bank, the deed was produced, and it was done in front of all the in front of the Gentiles. That means it wasn't some promise for Avram Avinu somewhere in some in his mind that he knows this land. It's something that the Gentiles do. It says, uh, you know, the people of the Chase, uh, Avram did it. The verse says openly, look what the Pasuk says, that Avram did it. It was done before the eyes of everyone. So much so that the Medrash says that there are, even though the Gentiles will always claim the Jews are thieves until Mashiach comes, they will always claim Jews are thieves and have taken land that is not theirs, like we see. <laughs> We see Manish today's day, it's still going on, and even more than before, that they're claiming that Jews are, uh, is, an is, is a, what do they call it, an, uh, an apartheid, whatever, I forgot the word, uh, an apartheid state, and that there is a, uh, 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 you know, where the Jews have been t taking the land, uh, it's an occupation, and so on and so forth. So the Medrash says there are three places that they can never argue, even begin to make that argument. Hebron, Shem, and and Jerusalem, <laughs> the three places, actually the three places, <laughs> the, the three places that they're fighting the most for are the ones that, that there's no argument. It's ours. It was bought. It says it's documented. The, the purchase, the sale, there was no, no question on it. 
Other pieces of land were conquered back then, but this wasn't conquered, this was bought. Temple Mount, Maharis HaMachpeh, Hebron, and Shechem, where, where Yosef is. These are the hottest sites of, 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 of where the Palestinians are, are contesting Jewish ownership. Just interesting. But what do you see from here? This, now what does that mean? Now let's understand what that means, just for a second. The objective of creation is that the physical world become godly. The physical world becomes godly when we create from a non-Jewish land a Jewish land. Because what's the idea of a Jewish land? The real meaning of a Jewish land. A Jewish land in which we do mitzvot, in which God's will, the law of the land is run in accordance to God's will. That means a Jewish land. And that means a holy land because God's will is implemented. And it's not just, and that's on a very physical level, but on a little bit more deeper, every time you do a mitzvah, you're creating a flow of godliness. But the earth itself, it's mitzvah earth. Like this year we know is, a sh is, sh is Shemitah. It's a sabbatical year. That means the entire Israel is now a mitzvah. The earth is in fulfillment of a mitzvah. The Shemitah is a mitzvah. So creating Jewish land is the objective of creation. Eventually we know that what started with that one, with that, with Hebron. Now, by the way, what does the word Hebron stand from? Hebor attachment. That's the place where earth and heaven first got attached. The first place where heaven and earth got attached. Why? Because you took land that was not Jewish, that was going to be living, that was going to exist as as in a, 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 in a non-godly fashion and now that land is now jewish land holy land but what's the objective eventually we conquered all of the land of israel and and made it into holy land and when mashiach will come the entire Eretz Yisrael will spread in the entire globe that there won't be a place in the world that will not be holy land. The entire world, literally every place in the world will be holy land. Who was the first person who linked holiness with land, with earth? Sorry. She started. She's the breakthrough. And that was her objective to begin with, infusing the godly into the earth, much more than her husband, Avram. So that's the life of Saul. What's the next story? The next story is Avram and Sarah are miraculously had a son, Yitzchak. Beautiful. Yitzchak is this awesome tzaddik. He's like this so much. So as we spoke earlier, he's worthy to go up on, uh, as a, on the altar. He's so holy. He's like incredible. For Avram Avinu, that's beautiful. Holy. He's, he's incredible. Such a, whole, such a tzaddik. He's so holy. Davins for hours. He, I, I can bring him up and he can soar up to heaven. Aram, it's good. But for Sarah, it's not good. Why? He's not married. He's not grounded. Not only that, they don't have children. They have to build a family. Yitzhak. In other words, you can have a song like Yitzhak and be crazy about what kind of Olam Haba Yitzhak is going to get. Think about that. You can look you, you, you at his perfection. He has such good midos tovos. He's got such refinement. He's got so he's so he's so so knowledgeable. He's so great. He's so perfect. He's perfect without perfection. Wow, wow! And so much so, he's even a kerba. 
But what is that doing for the world? How is that going to change change the dynamics of this world? The only way that's going to change is if there's not just, if there's grandchildren. Yitzhak has to get married. And then they'll have children. And then they'll have grandchildren. And then from the grandchildren will come the great nation. And so then they will spread and so on and so forth. So the second story in the Parsha of Parsha's Chayasara is continuing on the same theme. The first story is impacting the, the, the earth of this world, the matter of this world, and the second story is impacting humanity. Because if it's in the only way the Jewish people will only way we impact humanity is if we become a nation amongst the world. We become a people amongst the world, a populated people. Well, obviously the Jewish people always remained not the biggest of people, but were the biggest in influence. No other nation, no other people influences humanity as much as the Jewish people. But for that to happen, there have to be offspring. So the second story in the parsha is again the concept of heart. And what I'm saying is that Dafka by Yitzchak, it's so possible to see Yitzchak not getting married. In a sense, you could even ask, like, what, what, Yitzchak? He's so holy. He's so God. He was born as a miracle. Yitzchak is so possible for, to keep him as a holy floating, a floating entity that's kind of, um, what do you call it, levitating? Or is that a word? What's the word? Like floating on top? Levitating. Levitating above, above the above, he's, 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 he's up there somewhere. Married, getting married with a woman, getting this, settling down in the physical. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pulling him down to earth. That's that's and that like that's but that's sorrow. Sorrow is listen here. Holiness is great, but if holiness is not impacting, if it's not being funneled, if it's not transforming the lower, darker world into a godly place, it's missing the point. And Sarah is the one that 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 lived for that, understood that. That's her quality. Another time that Avram and Sarah had an argument, just take you back, where you see that they thought they weren't kind of seeing eye to eye, is was when Yishmael was in the house, and 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 uh, and Sarah wanted to kick Yishmael out of the house. Sarah said, "Get him out of here." He was a bad influence. And Avram said, no, no. Avram bothered him very much. Because Avram saw Yishma, he wanted to keep him in the house. God says to Avram, whatever Sarah says, listen to her. Listen to your wife. And Avram banishes him from the house. Rashi says an interesting thing that Avram was secondary to Sarah in prophecy. She was a higher prophet than him. But it's an interesting thing because Avram and Sarah, Avram is Avram is the influence. He's man. Man and woman. Man is the influencer. The woman is the recipient. Here God says the opposite. She's greater than you. You listen to her. But here we go back to the same question that I asked earlier. And here it's like, it's, you know what? Let's take a look at a minute. Here you have like the total flip side before. When it comes to Yitzchak, Avram is ready to sacrifice Yitzchak, to kill Yitzchak. There would be no more Yitzchak. Sarah devout. No way. So much so that she died because she heard it. It was just, it was just, to her, no. And when it comes to Yishmael, Sarah says, no Yishmael, and Avram says, yeah, let him stay. 
So hypothetically, let's, let's, let's think of this crazy idea. If Avram would have his way, Yitzchak would have been slaughtered on top of the mountain, and who would have continued living in the house? Yishmael. Now let's look at the world that that would have happened. Yishmael is the heir now to, to, to Avram and whatever, and etc. You can read the rest of the story. Yishmael being the, 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 the and, 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 and Yitzhak is not here. In Sarah's world, Yishmael out, Yitzhak here. It goes back to the same idea that we were saying before. Rabbi is not so concerned about this world being holy, godly, as much as Sarah. He's concerned with, with Hashem. He's concerned with attachment to Hashem. But the burning desire of making, of, of, ch of channeling everything into this world. See, Sarah's looking at the situation. She says, if your is in the house, it's not going to be good for a Jewish environment. It's not good for a Jewish. The house is not well. Aram is looking at the potential. Yishmael's got potential. He's, he's got a good soul. But Sarah's saying, it's going to ruin the, the, this is a Jewish home. This got to be the, this has got to be the prototype of a Jew. This has got to be the, the foundation. You can't have someone like Yishmael and it's not going to ruin it all. So again, Sarah has her eyes down here in the practical, in this literal world. Abram is floating somewhere. In that sense. So the two stories that we have in this week's parsha, which one of them, which all are in the afterlife of Sarah, which is, Number one, making sure that we have Jewish real estate and that the process of making this world holy begins in the literal, in a way that will be respected in, in, in a court of law, not just a divine promise, but something that you can see a document paid, cash was paid, the physical world. Second story, Yitzchak not as a some holy being, but Yitzchak married to a wife, having family and children, bringing grandchildren into this world, and laying the foundation for the great nation of the Jewish people. Two things. That's the life of Sarah. Now we're going to rewind back to the beginning of the class and explain why does Sarah's perfection reflect that she, she represents the perfect life, and it's reflected in what? In her years. All the other tzaddikim are also perfect. They're all great, perfect tzaddikim. And they serve God with all the powers of their soul. And they align themselves perfectly with God. But it's not necessarily so impactful. It, it's Meaning it's not, it's not fully demonstrated in time and space. Because Sarah's whole idea was to take holiness and godliness and make an imprint and carving in the concreteness of this world. So her holiness and her spiritual life etched itself into the actual time that she lived. The spiritual dynamics of Keser, Moichen, Midos, which, which means the the, perf the perfection of the of, of the superpowers, the perfection of the moichen, and the perfection of the midos are expressed in time, in actual years, because it's entering, it's carving itself out in time and space. 
tzaddik also have it. But that's more a private element of their soul, not so impactful in the world. And that's why Sarah is the only one who we say that to measure her life, we have to see how it's continuing. Why? Because to really, since Sarah is all about the impact on the world, if Sarah and what she stood for would have kind of kind of become a little weaker after she passes away, that means that her impact on the world, she could have been a big tzaddikis, but her impact on the world is not complete. If what she stood, if what she believed in, and which is Jewishness and holiness, continued, and not only that, it, it manifested in, in the actions that were done after her passing, which was all a continuation of implementing God. She sets the tone for Judaism to be etched and set within this physical world. That is, that is crucial to her life more than anybody else. All the tzaddikim, who's maybe there is some other content in their life other than the impact on the world. So to them, you're not going to have a parsha that speaks about what's happening after because to them, it's not, this idea is not so important. But to Sarah, whose idea is her impact in the world, so it has to continue because it doesn't continue means it didn't impact the world. To impact the world means it's lasting after even after she leaves, it becomes part of this world. The lesson of all of this is, in addition to the importance of the Jewish woman and so on and so forth, but even for men and for everyone else, is that the idea of how important it is that every kind of holiness that we have, every kind of spiritual energy, everything, how crucial it is that it find expression and it changed the environment. It changes time and space. But that's where it's really at. It's not enough to have just, you know, a group of people live in a certain town. I'll give you an example. You have certain cities that Jews came to. They lived there for a while and then they left and there's nothing Jewish left in the city. There's no lasting change in the city. There are certain places that Jews came and they built. Here was a yeshiva and here's a, here's a, here's a mikvah and here's a thing. Physical. Physical changes. The physical earth is impacted. So much so that our street names that are called with Jewish names and with people. In other words, impacting, impacting the, 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 the actual lasting impact on, it, on the material element of this world. This is so crucial. So crucial. So easy to, to, to like just be... You know, I do my thing, I'm holy, I'm withdrawn, I'm in myself, and I'm doing a lot of good for myself, and I can come to Olam Haban, and so forth. Not it. it. It's here. And that we do in two ways. Number one, again, we have to inf influence the real estate. That means our house has to look Jewish. It's not just enough that it's, a, it's in, the, in the home we do Jewish things. I have to fix a mezuzah to the door, of course. But even in there where the Torah doesn't demand Everything in the house should speak of Judaism. The pictures in the wall should express Yiddishkeit. You know, you see the faces of tzaddikim or the faces. The wall, the Rebbe always spoke about, it's not enough to have a pushka. You have to fix a pushka on the wall. It should become part of the house. Tzedakah is part of the house. Everything is like, it's so special. Like women, sometimes they have, they have, a, they have, you know, we have a kosher, we have a kosher kitchen. So we have a kosher sink, a, a dairy sink, a, a, a meat sink. Some even have a Pesach kitchen. That's so godly. A 
Pesach is not part of the fixed fixture in your house. Pesach. <laughs> if you can afford having a Pesach kitchen. But I'm just giving an example. Anything that gets a mitzvah identity and it's part of the real estate, it's part of the physical structure, it's awesomely important. It's awesomely important. Because that's the transformation of the material physical world. It, the world is, a, the place is different. Number one, number two. Second story is we have to impact people. We have to have, simply means to be, make sure that when it's not just we're here, but we make sure we have children and that our children are doing Jewish things. And that we're, so we're creating offspring, holy offspring, so that the impact on the world is not only for ourselves, but it's a continuing and it's populating, it's becoming more and more, but also spiritual. Having When when Avram sent Eliezer to bring Rivka, he meant that he pulled Rivka from an unholy state and he brought her to become the wife of Yitzchak, which means he transformed Rivka. She was kind of a lost soul with an incredible potential. He took her out and brought her to Yitzchak. She becomes the mother of the Jewish people. And then she has offspring. What that means to us is there are so many Jews that are around us so many people that we come into contact with that even though we can be doing our thing and being very religious and very observant and very mitzvah, but there's always a question, how much are you impacting people around you? How much more Jewish are you making the people around you? How much are you influencing people that are so far not so involved in, in mitzvahs? And are you making those people to be able to have children? I don't mean, yeah, it's a big thing to help people get shidduchim and get married, but also spiritual children. The biggest accomplishment you can have is if you influence someone to become more Jewish, more mitzvah observant, and then at a certain point you start seeing that they are influencing others to become more Jewish and more involved in more mitzvah. It's when your students are having students, that's incredible. So you've created the, that's called having grandchildren, spiritual grandchildren. And this is the idea. Eliezer, Avram sends Eliezer to go produce for him Jewish grandchildren, a third generation of Jews. So that, that, that's in, in the concept over here is that it is the highest achievement we can have is influencing the, the real estate of this world and influencing as well the population. Yes, it is a numbers game. More Jews and more Jews and more Jews. Someone can say it's all the it's, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. And therefore, it's enough if we have just three, me and two, three others who sit along all day in a closed environment. And no, no, that's nice, but that's not fulfilling the ultimate desire of God in this world. We need every Jew to do mitzvahs. And again, the ultimate is when they can have their children spiritually. They become influence. You influence a person, and then that person becomes an influencer. And that's Sarah's objective. The world needs to become a holier, godly place. And that can only happen through this particular avodah. So may we merit already to see Sarah's dream that our physical world becomes holy and godly. And may that be now. The coming of Mashiach. Thank you.